This morning, I'd like to start out by asking you, how, what's the difference between wisdom and being smart? Not just grammatically speaking, but actually, what's the difference between being wise and being smart? If you were listening during the children's devotion, you probably picked up on it a little bit. But there's a story of, uh, of three people up in a, uh, an airplane. A pastor, a boy scout, and a computer expert. They're the only ones on the plane. And they're flying, and about halfway through, the pilot comes back into the cabin and says, uh, Bad news, y'all, we are going down. The plane is going down. And even worse news, there's only three parachutes. And since I have a wife and kids, I'm taking one. And the pilot jumps out of the plane with one of the parachutes. The computer expert says, Well, I'm one of the smartest people in the world, and people need me and depend on me, so I'm taking one. And he jumps out of the plane. The pastor looks at the Boy Scout and says, Young man, you are still very young. I have lived a happy life, so you go ahead, you take the last parachute, and you jump. I will go down with the plane. And the Boy Scout says, Relax, Pastor. One of the smartest men in the world just grabbed my knapsack and jumped out of the plane. There's a difference between being wise and being smart, right? We can have all the knowledge in the world, and yet if we don't apply it to our life, we're not wise. And that's really the difference. Knowledge is all about being smart. We know a lot of things, but then do we apply it to our lives? That's what being wise is all about. So, are you a smart person? Or a wise person? Do you know a lot of things? Have a lot of uh, useless knowledge, so to speak, up there, but it doesn't apply to your life? How about this? Are you a smart or wise Christian? You see, a smart Christian knows Jesus. A smart Christian knows that he lived perfectly, he died innocently, and rose victoriously. That's a smart Christian. A wise Christian then takes that knowledge and applies it to their life. Are you smart or a wise Christian? Now, for those of you who are here today, and maybe you're not Christian, maybe you don't go to church very often, maybe you're thinking, well, this isn't really going to apply to me because this is all about Christian living. Uh, But it does apply to you. And how does it apply to you? Well, you're going to learn a lot about your Christian family and friends because you're going to learn what makes them tick. If you're here today or you're listening online and you're a Christian, what are you going to learn today? You are going to learn what it means to be wise. As God says, it is to be wise. Because a lot of times, we don't even know what it means to live wise lives, right? We don't know what Christian wisdom is all about. And that's what we're going to look at today as we continue the anatomy of a Christian. As I said at the beginning of the service, the big picture for this series is what does a Christian look like? What's the makeup of a Christian? What are the guts inside and what are the actions on the outside? And today, we are looking at what it means to be a wise Christian. To do so, we are in the book of James. James is one of those uh, last books in the Bible, one of the last ones. It was originally a letter written to Jewish Christians in in 60 A.D., spread throughout the Holy Land. 
Uh, it was written by a man named James, and he was a half-brother of Jesus. And his main focus is he's writing to Christians who know a lot about Jesus, but aren't living like they know a lot about Jesus. They aren't living wise lives. And he's got some harsh words to say in James chapter 3. These are going to be challenging, so stick with me, okay? Here we go. James chapter 3. Let's dig in. Who is wise in understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. You see, what was happening in the context of this time is uh, we're at 60 AD, 30 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. The church is still fairly young. And what was happening is they were getting leaders built up who weren't living wise lives. They were standing up. They had a lot of knowledge. They talked a lot about their knowledge. People told them how knowledgeable they were, and yet they weren't living as wise Christians. They weren't applying it to their life. Uh, what they wanted more than anything was for people to tell them how smart they were. They wanted to stand up in front of people and say, look how smart I am. Look at all the books I read. Look at how good of a preacher I am. That's what these people wanted. And James says this isn't right. Being wise is about applying those knowledge and those truths to your life. And he continues... But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. What was the driving force for these people uh, who who were coming up? What was driving them? Bitter envy and selfish ambition. Other people had the spotlight that they wanted. And their ambition was to get there and do whatever it took to get in the spotlight. To stand up in front of people and have them say, you are so smart. That's what they wanted to hear. As you look at your life and you look at the problems that are in your life, where do they stem from? Some, maybe not all, but some stem from bitter envy and selfish ambition found right in our hearts. We are envious of something that someone else has and we want it so badly that we are willing to do whatever it takes to get it, even if it means we have to trample on people to get there. We want that promotion at work. And so what do we do to get it? We falsify some statistics. Or we we spread a little false rumor about someone so that the boss hears about it and they give us the promotion instead. Bitter envy and selfish ambition. And the scary thing about bitter envy and selfish ambition is that we will never call it that, right? What do we call it instead? Inner drive. I have this inner drive to get to the top. I have drive, that's all. And drive's not a bad thing. But what's the motivation for the inner drive? Is it bitter envy and selfish pride? Or selfish ambition? Or is it to want to use the gifts and abilities that God has given us to the best that we can? Because when we're driven by bitter envy and selfish ambition, 
We are going to hurt people. We are going to do damage to people to get what we want. Because that's what our heart does. And that's what these people were doing in the, in the Christian church. They were envious of others and they were driven by their selfish ambition and they were willing to do whatever it took to get where they wanted to be. And James says this is not heavenly wisdom. In fact, he calls it earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Yikes. Demonic. James says heavenly wisdom is the opposite of this. He says heavenly wisdom is centered on being selfless. Centered on being selfless. And that's your first blank this morning. James says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. We're going to kind of just walk through each of these. It's first of all pure. In other words, there's no additives, there's no mixed motives, there's no hidden agenda from a a Christian. Heavenly wisdom is just pure. It's peace-loving. We don't like to hold grudges. We don't like rocky relationships. We don't like controversy. Heavenly wisdom wants to have peaceful, loving relationships with everyone. Even the people that we don't necessarily get along with. Even the ones who kind of annoy us. Even that co-worker who makes our life miserable. Even that boss who's constantly breathing down our neck. We want to have peaceful, loving relationships with everyone. That's heavenly wisdom. It's considerate. It, cons- it's, it considers other people. We still get that down here in the South, don't we? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Please, thank you. People hold doors for you. Uh, you go to other parts of the country and you don't find that anymore. I see some of you shaking your heads <laughs> in agreement. Um, It's true. You go to other places and you don't find that. But we consider other people. We are considerate of them. Heavenly wisdom is submissive. And that's a word we don't like, huh? Being submissive. And the reason we don't like it is because we hear the word submissive and what do we immediately picture? Someone who doesn't have a choice. Someone who's told what color they like, what kind of ice cream they like. Someone who's basically a doormat, right? But that's not what the word submissive means. That's not what the word to submit means. The word submissive is a choice. It's a choice that you make. And so when when I have a, a want and you have a want, I say I'm going to choose to put my wants aside and I'm going to choose to let you have what you want. That's what submissive means. It's a choice to put the other person's needs and wants ahead of your own. And who is the one who did this the best? Who's the one who does it the best? Jesus. Jesus. God Himself was up in heaven in perfectness and holiness, looking down on us, and what did He see? He saw people who needed a Savior. He saw people who needed a perfect life, people who needed someone to save them from sin, death, and the devil. And he said, I'm going to put your wants and your needs above my own. And he stepped into human history. God himself stepped into his own uh, play, if you want to call it that, his own creation. 
And He lived perfectly and died innocently for you to put your needs first so that you have forgiveness, life, and salvation. That's what God has done. He chose to put your needs ahead of His own. Heavenly wisdom is also full of mercy. Not only do we put other people's needs and wants above our own, and we choose to submit, we, are also, we also give them what they don't deserve. So for instance, at home, your spouse yells at you. Let's just say that. Your spouse yells at you. What, would they, what do they deserve? Maybe for you to yell back at them. But you're not going to do that because you give them what they don't deserve. Your coworker goes and spreads a lie about you in the workplace. What do they deserve? Maybe they deserve for you to do the same. Maybe they deserve to get in your, for you to get in their face and yell at them. But you're not going to give them what they deserve because we are full of mercy. And that's exactly how God has treated us, right? We talked a lot about that last week, how God doesn't give us what we deserve. He doesn't give us the punishment that our sins deserve. Instead, He gives us forgiveness, life, and salvation. Heavenly wisdom has good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. As you look at all of these heavenly wisdom traits, uh, who do you think of? You think of God Himself, right? These are the characteristics of God. And these, this is heavenly wisdom for a Christian. What does a Christian want more than anything? To be with God. To be like God. And to uh, demonstrate what God has done for us. And that's what this is. Heavenly wisdom is living how God wants us to live. So how does this look in our lives? Well, a Christian is able to put other people's needs before themselves and not worried about being left out in the cold. A a Christian is able to give in for the sake of another person. Right? Because we can choose to submit. A Christian with heavenly wisdom doesn't need to cuss out the person who cuts us off on the interstate because we're full of mercy. A Christian, uh, a Christian student doesn't have to pick on the loner in the class just to uh, be in good graces, so to speak, with his peers. A Christian can always put other people first. Person in, a Christian in the workplace can do what their boss wants and demands without muttering under their breath, without uh, talking behind their back. This is heavenly wisdom in our life. Do you recognize the problem, though? We want to live this way, and yet we don't, right? We don't always live this way. A lot of times we live the opposite way. And that's because while we're here on earth, what is at work in us? Sin. We've got heavenly wisdom in our hearts because of Jesus, but we also have worldly wisdom working on us as well. And what's worldly wisdom? Worldly wisdom is centered on me, myself, and I. James continues in chapter 4 by addressing this issue. He says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? 
You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Man, we see this all the time, don't we? And it's not out there in the world that we see it. It's right in our own hearts. It's in our own homes. Why do fights start among us? It's because one of us isn't getting what we want. And so we quarrel and fight about it. Think about your fights at home. Think about your arguments at home. Where do they stem from? Someone wants something that they aren't getting. And they're not willing to put the other person's needs and wants ahead of their own. Same thing is true for the workplace. Same thing is true for here at church. In churches across America, do you know what causes the most fights? It's not about what's being preached from the pulpit. It's not about what's being taught. It's about someone wanting something that they can't have or that the church isn't going to do. And so they get upset because they're focused on me, myself, and I. And so what do you find in churches? You find people fighting over what songs are sung. You find people fighting and and arguing about which version the Lord's Prayer they say. You you find people upset about uh, a worship time because they don't want to get up that early. Or you find people upset because it's too late. Me, myself, and I. It's what I want. And when I don't get it, I'm going to fight about it. That's what we see. And this attitude, me, myself, and I, doesn't just affect uh, our earthly relationships. It affects our relationship with God. James says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Take a look at your prayer life. Take a look at my prayer life, for that matter. And what does it look like? If we're honest, it's a lot of me, myself, and I. God, give me. And that's not bad. God wants us to come to Him and ask for things. But what's our motive behind what we're asking? Is it because we just want to spend and, and on our pleasures? Or do we want to give Him glory in the way we live? And here's what James says. You adulterous people. Yikes. The Bible compares our relationship with God of, of one of that of a marriage. Uh, God is the groom and we are His bride. And when we uh, cheat on Him, so to speak, when we worship something else, we're adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that He jealously longs for the Spirit He is called to dwell in us? But... He gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee you. In what way does friendship with the world make you an enemy of God? What is the way of the world? Worldly wisdom is me, myself, and I. And that is the exact opposite of God, right? God is selfless. The world is selfish. And when we choose to be all about me, myself, and I, we have nothing to do with God because God is nothing but selfless. That's what James is saying. And yet, he gives us more grace. And that's your next point. God, in his wisdom, gives us more grace. 
more undeserved and unconditional love. Isn't it amazing? James has been hammering these people for how many verses now? Look at how bad you fail. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, wow, pastor, that's kind of like your sermon today. You've been hammering us. But then he says, God gives us more grace. More unconditional, undeserved love. And this is what the world doesn't understand, right? When someone fails us again and again and again, we finally say, I'm done with you. We wash our hands, we leave them to be, and we move on. But not God. God says, I see you failing. You failed me again. You failed me again. And I'm going to keep giving you grace. I'm going to keep giving you love. And there's more and more and more grace. We fail Him and we become self-centered. There's more grace. We fail Him and we're driven by bitter envy and selfish ambition. There's more grace. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross, right? When He died on the cross, He washed all of our sins away. Past, present, future sins, all gone before God. And it's because of Jesus that God continues to give us more and more and more grace. His grace can never run out for us. That's God in His wisdom, what He's done for us. And so what does that do for you today? We don't have to walk on eggshells wondering, is the next time that I screw up going to be the time that God sends a lightning bolt down and strikes me? We don't have to worry, is the next one going to give me ultimate punishment where there's no more forgiveness? No, there's always more grace because of Jesus. God no longer sees you as the person who's only self-centered. God no longer sees you as a person driven by selfish ambition and, and bitter envy. No, He sees the forgiven child of God. That's what He sees when He looks at you. And it's that that motivates us to live by heavenly wisdom, right? Look at what God has done for us. We want to make Him happy. And how do we do that? Heavenly wisdom humbly submits to God's will. It's God's grace. His undeserved, unconditional love for us and what He's done for us through Jesus that motivates us to live by heavenly wisdom, right? Think about this for a second. To humbly submit means that we put our will, our wishes, our wants and desires aside and choose God's will, right? When has there ever been a time when you have chosen to do what God wants you to do and ever regretted it? Never, right? That's because God knows what's best for your life. And we want to choose what God wants us to do because that is living by heavenly wisdom. We know Jesus. We know He lived perfectly, died innocently, and rose victoriously. We know it. And we want to now take that knowledge and apply it to our life. May God give us the strength to take that knowledge and to bring it to wisdom as we live for Him. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank You that You have died for us and rose again. We ask that You take this knowledge that is planted in our hearts and in our minds 
and change it to heavenly wisdom as we live our lives for you. Amen. Please stand.